0: The one thing I want you to go away here with this morning, if you get nothing else, is that God loves you. On the last day of this year, going into 2018, you need to know that God loves you if you don't already know that. God is your biggest fan. He loves you. Entering 2018 as well, besides knowing that, I know many of you, by talking to you, have fears. You're kind of anxious about 2018. I know life doesn't always go as we expect it to. We can't control what happens to us. So I know many of you, as you enter 2018, you're anxious. You're worried. You may be a little bit fearful. Maybe even when I mention 2018, you get this sudden panic attack feel. You're not alone. Many people feel anxious about a new year. Um, They look at the past year. We often judge ourselves harshly and say, if I would have just done this or that, things might have been different. The beauty in God's economy, each day is a brand new day. His mercies are new. His grace is new every day. And then you get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance because God is the God of many chances. Praise God for that. Some of you, some of us may enter 2018 without a job. And I know that can be unsettling, can create anxiety. Maybe this is the first year you've had to enter 2018 without one of your loved ones. Maybe you have crushing debt. Maybe you have an out-of-control teen or child. You're not sure what you're going to do. Maybe you have an impending divorce. Financial pressures are weighing heavy on you. Maybe you just found out you have a sickness. Maybe cancer's knocking at your door. Maybe you know when you go back to work, there's going to be a reorg, and you're anxious about that. Lots of things can cause fear and panic. So today I want to look at the antidote to fear. But first, let's identify and define fear. Went to the dictionary. It's a good place to go if you want a definition. It says, Fear is a distressing emotion. Agree? Fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, loss, evil, pain, or even the unknown. Have you ever feared the unknown? Sure. Generally, the unknown is more fearful than the known. At least with the known, you can at least calculate what it might take to overcome that. But with the unknown, just be fear of the unknown. And then it ends this definition Whether the threat is real or imagined. So we've all been fearful. Being afraid is not wrong. As George often teaches us, emotions, feelings aren't right or wrong. What becomes right or wrong is how I react and what I do with those emotions or those feelings. So today we're going to look at those, some antidotes to fear so we don't have to enter 2018 fearful. But before we jump in, let's pray. Abba, Father, we come before you asking you to teach us today. Would you fill us up with your Holy Spirit so that we can understand your word and go into 28 courageous and bold as you've commanded? God, if there's anything I say today that is not right, would you just grab it away? And God, if there's anything that has that special, mysterious thing called unction, would you just carry it into our hearts and minds? so that it changes the very core of what we're going to do in 2018. Thank you, God, for loving us, for calling us, and caring for us every single moment of every day of our life. We give this time to you, God, for your honor and your praise and for your glory. Amen. I don't need to fear the future. There are many reasons why I don't need to. We're going to go over three of them today. We're continuing in Psalms 23. It's a series we've been in, holiday hope, holiday with hope or hope for the holidays. Some of my inner core friends, my small group I meet with, they're like, are we done with hope yet? Are we gonna have hope with this? No, this is it. We end hope today. Not really, but we go into love next year. So everything will be love for next year. So not only do we finish Psalms 23 today, we also finish out the year of hope. Um, and fear robs us of hope. George taught us one of the things over this series that this is about what God does for us. It's not a Psalm of David about acknowledging what God does for him. It's all about who God is in Psalms 23. The first message, now George is going to hate it. I summed up his whole message in a, a sentence over and over. First message was that you're a priest. If you're a child of God, you're a priest. And because of that, you're anointed and appointed, George taught us. Um, and that God has given us a ministry and a mission that he's anointed us for and appointed us to. That mission is obviously about the gospel and blessing others. That's all believers. So whether you feel like it or not, you're a holy priest as a believer and you're anointed and appointed. Second message was about the anointed and appointed one, us. We'll go through valleys of the shadow of death, but God will be there as we go through this valley, even if we don't fill it. The third message, George taught us that we have to want to be led by God. You can be a sheep that's out on his own um, at the edge of the flock, and you know what happens to the sheep that are out on the edge of the flock? They get devoured. They get devoured. The hungry lion, which is the evil one, is looking, seeking whom he can devour. And if you ever watch any videos, YouTube, anything on sheep, the ones on the edge, they get devoured by the wolves and the lions. You don't want to be that one. So you have to be le- wanting to be led. If you're willing to be led, then God will teach you through his word and will lead you by his Holy Spirit. And George cautioned us, don't be led by culture, your feelings, or your friends. They'll often mislead you. And then the messy drive before Christmas, I know many of us have eaten Maybe some of us have had a sugar coma since then. We've forgotten a few things. But the message right before Christmas was that we will have opposition. Not will you, but it's when you will have opposition. He talked about those opposition are always directed towards those who are anointed and appointed, us. We'll have opposition in the world, the evil one. And kind of surprising, he talked a lot about how we are our own opposition, that we get in our own way many times. But Jesus promised us a banquet table of fellowship before our enemies where he will be there and eternally with him in that banquet as our king. So that kind of brings us up today as we finish off this series. So I want us to read the 23rd Psalm and look for 12 things here to wrap it up that God does for us. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the right path, those of righteousness, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a banquet for me in front of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And where we are today, number 12 on that list, surely goodness and mercy will follow me All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is all about God. It begins with, The Lord is my shepherd, and ends that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's all about God. It's our antidote to fear. Surely, that word really means, Because it is so, surely, because it is so, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This promise is the reason I don't need to fear the future. So let's jump into our outline there in your bulletin. Why don't I need to fear the future? The first reason is because God's goodness is watching over me. Because God's goodness is watching over me. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. God's goodness will follow you. He pays attention to you. Normally I would not stand up here and say it's all about you. But in this psalm, it is about you. It's about what God and how he loves you, what he does. His eyes upon you. Why? Because he created you. He created you for his delight and his pleasure. God loves you. There are 7.5 billion people in the world. And how does God love all of his believers that same way that they're the apple of his eye? How is it possible for God to watch all of us? It's found in three traits that we don't have time to go into today, but I'm gonna challenge you to go out and look them up. God's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at one time. I don't know exactly how that works, but that's what the Bible says, so I choose to believe it. That's how God loves you and fully watches over you because he knows you. Every detail about your life, and he cares about them deeply. He cares how you feel. He does. Now, he may not leave you in that feeling. He may want you to come out of that, but he cares about how you feel. He knows you better than know yourself, so we need to trust that he knows what's best for us. Psalms 145 20 there in your outline says this, the Lord watches over all who love him. He protects you, You're probably not aware of the thousands of times over this past year that God protected you and kept you from harm. You may could tell me about a few of those close calls where you jumped a red light and somebody ran a red light, and just by the sheer grace of God, you didn't jump at that time. You waited patiently for who knows why, and this car didn't take your car out. Thousands of times you don't even know what God's doing to protect you. The problems you might have created that he supernaturally stopped for you. I often pray that God help me clean up this mess I've created. I will try not to do it again. And God often does that. Sometimes he says, no, Dennis, I need you to feel the pain so you'll quit doing this. And he lets me do it, but he's right there along me the whole time. He knows the times he's protected us. He's watching out for you. He takes care of you by his angels. He sends angels to protect you. His goodness follows you, it says, all the days of your life. Yes, his angels protect you. They're protecting and watching over you. I know there's lots of misconceptions about angels. TV generally always gets it wrong. Um, Let's look at a few of those. I wish we could really delve into it, but we don't have time. Um, But first thing is, you don't become an angel. You'll never get wings. I'm sorry if that's what you're looking for in heaven. You won't. Your grandmother might have been an angel, but she's not an angel now in heaven. She doesn't have wings. She doesn't need wings. It would be crazy. Um, But angels are real. They do protect us. They don't have bodies like you and I. They are spiritual beings. Um, Rarely, if ever, will you see one, nor will you talk to one. You can say, but Mary had an angel talk to her. Yeah, but you're not burying the Son of God, so probably the an angel's not going to come and talk to you. Now, if somebody tells me an angel did, I, I can't doubt that. I know my experience, but my experience doesn't validate what God can do. God says angels protect us. And however God wants to do that, he can do. Um, but angels are real, and they're your defender, and they're your procurer. A great accounting word. They procure your goodness. They're working the things around you. Psalms 91, says it this way. God orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. Psalms 91 is a great psalm. I'm going to challenge you this week, go read Psalms 91. It will talk all about God's watching after you and how his glory takes care of you. Um, So go do that. Not now, not during the message. Don't start reading Psalms 91 and say, oh well. Um, But read Psalms 91 this week. You and I can't even begin to know how many times God's goodness has taken, through, taken care of us and protected us. It says "Here is goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. It doesn't say it's in and out of my life. It says it's with me my entire life. What does it mean? It doesn't mean only good things happen to me. You know that's not true. Bad things happen to people. Um, bad things don't happen to good people. You know why? Because no, there's not one good. Only God is good. Jesus was good on earth. So you can't say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? The question is, why do bad things happen to bad people? Well, why do good things happen to bad people? Let's look at that one first. Romans 8, 28 sums it up this way. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God, are fitting to his plans, called by his purpose. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your reaction to it. You can't control what happens to you, but God can work all those things to your good if you're following him. Now, on the other hand, even as a believer, a child of God, if you're off out of God's protection and you're running your own direction, you're living a life where you're your God, where you're doing your own thing, where you're making your own choices, you're never even consulting or talking to God about it, then bad things can't happen to you. Just don't misuse that verse, Romans 8, that all things happen good for those who believe no matter what they do, because no matter what they do is not in there. What is in there, all things work to our good for those who are living as God's called them to live and living according to His purpose. So if you're following God's plans and living righteous life, all things will ultimately work out to your good. Now sometimes that good is maturity. Sometimes what the goodness is, is it makes me more like Jesus. That's what Romans 8 kind of sums up in there, is that the good that often happens to us out of bad things is we become more Christ-like. We grow up into Christ and that full measure of Christ. So number one, I don't have to fear the future because God's goodness is watching over me. Number two, because God's grace is working in me. While God's goodness is working all around me all the time, even when I sleep, God's grace is working in me all the time. It says, surely mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mercy is God's grace in action. God says in Isaiah 60, 10, I will have mercy on you through my grace. So what's the difference between God's goodness and God's mercy? Goodness is giving me what I don't deserve. One of my favorite expressions, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'll often repeat from Dave Ramsey, who stole it from Ron Blue, I'm better than I deserve. Because what I normally deserve is justice and wrath and probably a good beating. And I rarely receive that because of God's goodness in my life. And then mercy is God withholding what I do deserve. So I do deserve God's wrath and punishment, generally for what I do, but God withholds that because of his mercy and grace. And I don't deserve anything, and God gives me those. And so God's goodness and mercy work together for those who are in Christ. So in a nutshell, God's goodness is his provision to you. God's mercy is his pardon for you. God provides us with what we don't deserve and pardons us from what we do deserve. As we talk about God's goodness and mercy, I need want us to be real careful here. Don't separate these from Jesus. Remember good things don't ha- bad things don't happen to good people because there are no good people. You may think you're good, but without Jesus, you're depraved, lost, and headed to a dark, um, a dark place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what we all deserve because we're all bad people. But because of Jesus, we have a whole different type of world that we live in because of He, our High Priest, and our atonement for our sin. God is first and foremost a holy and just God who is good. His mercy is towards us because of what Jesus has done for us. It's based on Jesus earning our reconciliation with God. We're pardoned by His mercy and because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He took our place. And now as adopted children of the Most High God, the King, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, He becomes our righteous, holy priest. And that's what we are. When God sees you, You know why he loves you and adores you? Because he sees you as perfect, holy, and forgiven. He looks at you through the blood of Jesus and sees you as he sees Jesus. Now, we don't always feel that, but that's the way God sees us. That's why he loves you. That's why you're the apple of his eye. That's why you're his delight, because he sees you through Jesus. Now, if you don't have Jesus covering you, he sees you as a depraved, willful, rebellious child who's deserving of wrath and justice. But as a child of the king, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we become righteous and holy priests who are worthy of God's goodness and his provision because of the pardon earned from us for Jesus. Psalms 103, I'm going to kind of summarize Psalms 103, 2 through 13. It's in your um, outline. It says it this way. I will... Not forget the glorious thing God does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness. He fills my life with good things. He is merciful and tender toward those who don't deserve it. He is slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as we deserve for all of our sins. For his mercy, because he punished Jesus, is as great as the height of the heavens. He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. Some of you get stuck on one passage. God doesn't hold grudges. Maybe you were raised up in a, a religious setting where God is vindictive and God is the punisher and God gets even. So when bad things happen, do you ever heard some of you say this? Well, well, God's just paying me back for all I've done wrong. That's not true. He paid Jesus for what you've done wrong, your sin. God's not ever getting even with you. That's a lie straight from the deceiver himself, Satan. As a child of God, because he sees you through Jesus, he sees you as forgiven and righteous. He doesn't see you with a lot of potential. He sees you as fully complete in Christ. That's your identity in Christ is I'm fully complete in Christ. Now, he's grown me up into being more and more like Christ. But when he sees me, he sees me as perfect and holy because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, in that whole chapter, it says, this is not on the basis of anything we did, but by the incomparable riches of his grace, we have been saved through faith through the kindness shown us in Jesus Therefore, Hebrews 4.16 says, we can come before God's throne where we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. So this is why we don't have to fear the future. God's goodness and his mercy are following us all the way, days of our life because Jesus purchased it for us. God is merciful and he provides for us, pardons us. He provides for us in his goodness and they follow us. So I don't have to fear the future, one, because goodness, God's goodness is watching over me. Two, his grace and mercy is working in me. And three, because God's glory is waiting for me. If this building fell on top of us right now and we all died immediately, we would immediately go to God's glory for a child of his. The word is and. It's what connects today with the future. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness and mercy follow me, and when my time comes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the big crescendo, the big ending to Psalms 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't have to fear death. I do a lot of the funerals around here, and I love to do a funeral of a saint. I have to be careful because we're all grieving when a loved one dies. But, oh, a saint that goes to heaven, that's what it's all about. This is our temporary home. Earth is a mere shadow of things to come. God has prepared us to be with him in glory. Even if I have a really tough life here on earth that encompasses a life of deep suffering, poverty and hunger like we have around most parts of the world, the end is still the same. The dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever where all injustices will be righted. So what makes heaven heaven? Well, there are a lot of things that make heaven, but the biggest one is here, God's full glory. It will be a place of no more death, sure, tears, no, suffering, sickness, pain will all be gone, no more misunderstandings, no more sin, no more hurt. You won't be able to sin, or maybe you won't want to sin so much you won't sin. I don't know exactly how that works, but that's all going to be in heaven. But heaven is heaven Because of God's full glory will be on display. His full beauty of all he is will be on display. Psalms 91, the psalm I've challenged you to read this week, says, Look at the stars and you'll see a small fraction of God's glory now. The heavens declare his glory, the Bible says. When you get to heaven, you'll see that full glory and you'll be able to withstand it. We don't see it completely now because we live in a broken world. Paul says like we're looking in a dimly lit mirror. Have you ever taken a shower and the mirror fogs over? And you can kind of see, but you really can't see? That's what that's talking about. We can't glimpse all of God's glory now. Isaiah 63, 15 says, His glory in heaven will be unhindered by nothing, will be hindered by nothing will be totally unhindered. Acts 7:55 Stephen says he looked up toward heaven and saw God's glory. In John 12:16 Jesus said it says Jesus when he died, he returned to his glory in heaven. One day you and I will go to heaven and we will see and experience God's full glory. That's why we don't have to fear the future. We can't really imagine heaven now. It's beyond our comprehension. Einstein says that there are many dimensions improved many dimensions beyond our three that we live in. Heaven will be full of those, things we couldn't even comprehend now. All descriptions we have in the Bible, streets of gold, pearly gates, crystal seas, they're all metaphors. When John's writing the Revelation, he never said heaven is. He said heaven is like. And if you could have heard him saying that, it would have been almost stammering. Heaven is like, well it's like the streets are gold and, and, and the seas are crystal. And what he really didn't know how to say is God's glory so illuminates everything that it's all just extremely glorified and beyond reason or comprehension. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says he was caught up into some kind of third heaven beyond Earth layer, beyond the galaxies, some kind of third heaven beyond space. And he said, even if I was permitted I don't have words to express what I heard and what I saw. He didn't have words. So if you write a book about heaven, I may be stepping on thin ice here. If you write a book about heaven and you explain it like, hey, Jesus and I sat out on the pew and we had a good old time, it's nowhere in the Bible. Anything in the Bible, when they see heaven, they can't begin to explain it. So question anything that somebody says, hey, I went to heaven and well, me and Jesus just hung out and played pool. Probably not going to happen. When you see Jesus, you will drop by the glory that's surrounding him. Corinthians 2.9 says it this way. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has imagined, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is a great place and God has prepared a place for you there. John 14 says, logically, Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. My father's house has many mansions. And then he says, ridiculously almost, like you don't get it. If I'm going to go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come grab you again someday and take you to be with me. So where I am, you will be. We don't have to fear death, the future. We don't have that full picture of heaven right now because we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it if we saw that right now. We see where where Moses has to crawl in the cleft of a rock while God passes by because he couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle God's full glory right now. Um, Romans 9.23 says we will, though. Romans 9.23 says God wanted to reveal his abundant glory, which was poured out on us who are the objects of his mercy and whom he has prepared in advance to receive his glory. So we will receive his glory someday. Great. So that's the what. God's goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Great. So let's die. We can't do that, right? So that's not the point here. So what? If that's the what, what is the so what? Dennis, how does this impact me January 1st, 2018, tomorrow? What can this make a difference? Well, let's look at that. If you want to be uh, courageous, bold, fearless, valiant warrior, the Bible calls you, of the most high king. If you're anxious about 2018, let me share some practical steps to put this into your life. So if you want to have that full and fearless life in 2018, number one, turn your bulletin over the back. Now on the back, what is it? Nothing, right? There's nothing on the back because that part didn't get printed. So you're going to have to write one, two, three on there. And then I'll help you fill it in. So to live fearful, fearless and fully in 2018, number one, there's going to be three of them, stay grateful and generous. Why? Because God's goodness follows me. That's the way God deals with me. Why would I not want to deal that way with others? If God works that way and I follow his purposes and his principles, then all things will work out for my good. So my first response to God's goodness should be gratefulness. And this should immediately follow, once I'm grateful for all I have, as George calls them, time, talent, and treasure, then I should be generous with those time, talent, and treasure. Psalms 118.29 says, Give thanks continually to the Lord, because He is so good, and because His mercy will never run out. Psalms 118.29 Since there is continual goodness and continual mercy to us, then we should continually give thanks to God, Psalms 118.29 says. P.G. already covered in one of his other messages that gratitude is the healthiest emotion we can have, being grateful. There's been study after study that says people that are grateful and thankful for what they have are happier, feel more blessed, more joy-filled, and ultimately are more successful. So do you want that for 2018? To be healthier? To be more joy-filled? To be more successful? then you need to add gratefulness as one of your top top emotions you have. It is the key to hope is being grateful. When you see what God has already done for you, it gives you hope that his character up to this point in your life, at the end of 2017, will continue into 2018, and you have hope. Plus, you can't be fearful and grateful at the same time. When you realize all the things that have been given to you by God, in the, the seen world and the unseen world, it makes you grateful, and when you're grateful, you're not fearful. They can't reside in the same brain. Hebrews twelve twenty eight, Hebrews twelve twenty eight says this: We have been given possession of an unshakable kingdom. Let us therefore be grateful and use our gratitude to worship God in the way that pleases Him and reverence and all. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. So the second response after being grateful should be generosity. It should be one of giving. Matthew 10.8 says it this way. Matthew 10.8, You have been treated generously, so live generously. Give as freely as you have received. God promises that if you live generously, He will give back to be confident and fearless. Do you realize that? A generous heart, God says, becomes confident and fearless. Psalms 112, 5-9 says it this way. God will come to him who is generous. Such people lend freely, definition of generous, such people lend freely and conduct their affairs honestly. They will never be shaken. They don't fear bad news because they trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless in facing their opposition because they give generously to those in need. They will have influence and honor. So let me kind of give you a visual for this. If you wanna give me something, I hold out my hand, right? And say you have a dozen items and I don't know that. And you put the first one in my hand and I close my hand and take it. You put the second one in my hand and take it. How many more can I take now? Zero. I mean, it's hard to take something like this. So zero. But if I leave my hands open, you can pile all the things you want on there. Now the problem though, is if I leave my hands open and you put it in there, Somebody else can come and take it out, right? But it still leaves them open. That's the way God is. If you are open-handed with what God gives you and you give freely of it, God is able to put more in there. If you grab and hold it, he won't put any more in there. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but God says he wants to pour blessings, time, talent, and treasure into you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I love that metaphor. Because a lot of times if you go to... Um, a supermarket, and you're buying something by the container, they do all they can to fluff it up. Matter of fact, one of my most disappointing things is when you get something, and you look at it, and it's got a dome in the middle, and it looks completely full, but most of it's air. God doesn't do that. God says, I'm going to press it down, shake it, press it down, shake it, and overflow it. That's what God does with someone who is generous. Principle of tithing is one there to put to test us. God says, I'm going to test you with what I give you to see if you'll give anything back. I've heard many lottery winners say, or many people say, you know, pastor, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give the church half. And I'm like, no, you won't. They're like, what? You give the church nothing now. Why do you think you're going to give anything when you win the lottery? That's the reality. Whatever you do with a little, the Bible says you will do with a lot. There's a statistic out there I really couldn't validate it, but supposedly 9 out of 10 people that win the lottery are broker than they were when they won it one year later. Now, what happened to the 1 out of 10? I don't know, but I'll tell you what I think I know. I think they already knew how to handle money. So when they were overwhelmed with a huge sum of money, they kept their principles, their purposes, their values intact, and they were able to handle a lot just like they handled a little. And why would God give somebody a lottery winning who's just going to spill it all over the world on material things? What a waste. So the, spirit, the, the principle of generosity is God gives back and more to those who are generous. Plus, he says here, it's an antidote to being fearful. If you're generous, it proves that you don't fear your things leaving you. What have we as a church been able to do because of our generosity? We're a generous church. Don't feel like I'm, I'm saying anything bad. We're a very generous church. What we do together is far more than any of us could do separate. We have literally given hundreds of thousands of dollars to local ministries to get the gospel out. Now, they meet needs first, but ultimately they get the gospel out. We support 54 orphans in Haiti and have for about six years, seven years. We built a village for these kids that includes water and solar power. We're building a school that's about seventy-five percent done because of your generosity, open-handedness. We support twelve congregations in the Philippines that have reached hundreds, maybe thousands of people with the gospel in barren guys or counties that have no evangelical witness. We've built churches, supported churches in Nigeria, Vietnam, Zambia, and South Africa. And God continues to entrust us with more as a body. Church, I'm convinced that if we ever quit reaching out, Acts 1-8, beyond us, beyond our walls, into the community, into Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world, that God will dry that up. Those who are just like individuals, churches that are generous, God brings more into it. So that's generosity. Generosity. I'll just test you right there with what, how, how do you give money to others? How do you give money back? That's a good enough test. Just look at your checkbook and your calendar, and immediately you'll know what you do with your time, what you do with your money. But George and I want to challenge you over the next 30 days. We're going to assume tomorrow you'll be getting everything focused. So January 2nd through the 31st is 30 days. We want to challenge you to have a grateful moment every morning. So what we're going to ask you to do is take a piece of paper when you get home, divide it into three columns. One column is going to be spiritual things, those of God. One column will be relational relationships, and one will be creation, material things. If you've ever heard me talk on missions, there are four broken relationships that Jesus um, reconciled for us. A relationship with God he reconciled, a relationship with self, now your new identity is in Christ. You don't have to worry about yourself all the time. And then third one is relationship with others. And then fourth is creation. And so um, if you can see this, you'll notice my writing's not very good. A little side note. Um, when my son was in kindergarten, my oldest son, I signed him in at the dentist's office, and I've got poor penmanship. And the lady said, oh, that's sweet. You let your son sign in. It's like, no, <laughs> eh, that's not my son's writing. He writes better than I do. Actually, he doesn't, but close. So three columns, and then one through seven, and list seven things in each column. So under the spiritual column, a few of mine are salvation by Jesus. Praise the Lord that there's salvation by Jesus. I'd be in trouble. Um, For his goodness and mercy, based on this message. For heaven, that it is our ultimate home. For God's forgiveness, I would hate to go through life without forgiveness. Um, I'm pretty tough on myself, and if I had to carry all my own guilt, I'd be worthless. Thank God for prayer, his word, his guidance and protection. Under my relational relationships, the first one is my wife. My wife, I'm grateful that she is in my life. We just celebrated 33 years. That's her blessing over there. Thank you. My three kids, um, Josh and Jonathan's here, and my daughter-in-law, Katie. For the church staff, we have a great church staff. I'm in charge of HR here, and we've got a good one. Um, For Pastor George, George is a great guy to work for. He pushes you. Oh, there's George. I didn't know George was here. Hey, George. George pushes you when he needs to, but he encourages you when you need to. He's a great boss to work for. Um, For the Filipino pastors, whom I love, who I pray for all the time, Our Haiti kids and leaders. And then under creation material, I put home. I'm glad to have shelter on a day like today because I know many who don't. I'm glad to have HVAC that was warm when I got up. For food, it's obvious I like food. You can't imagine not having food. For a car that I can count on. There were many years earlier in ministry where we had one car we could count on and the other was a prayer vehicle. That means I prayed every time it would start in the morning. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than a car not starting. You have to take your second car that does run. You leave your wife without a car. And it's like, honey, I hope you can get that car started. Um, Maybe it'll start when it warms up. Clothing, shoes. I'm thankful for a coat this morning. Extra dollars to give back. Um, By health, all those things. You just make your own list. It's a challenge to you to write down 21 things, seven in each one of these columns. And before you get up every morning, January 2nd through January 31st, thank God for these things. If you do, by the end of day 31, you'll be very grateful. You'll be more generous and you'll be happier. You'll probably be healthier and people will probably like you a lot more. Um, Second thing. So one is to be grateful and generous. Two is to be gracious to everyone. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful to us. Number two, be gracious to everyone. The more gracious you are with people, the less fearful you will be in life. Just like grateful and fearful don't reside together, grace and fear don't reside together either. So the more graceful you, grateful you are and the more gracious you are, the less fearful you will be. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Ephesians 4.32. Be gracious and merciful to everyone and forgive others just as God has forgiven you because of Christ. Who are you still holding a grudge against? 2017's done. 2018's on the cusp. Who have you not forgiven? It's time. It's time to grow up, get that out of your way. And here's the truth. That person probably doesn't even really feel bad. And you've locked yourself in this prison of unforgiveness, holding a grudge. You hold the key, unlock the door, let yourself out, get rid of the grudge, give forgiveness, and move on in 2018. 1 John 4.18 says it this way. way, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Those of you who think God's going to punish you, you fear him. Those who think God loves and forgives you don't, because the one who fears has not matured in love. So how does this work? It works this way. If you're not grateful, if you're not gracious, then generally you're selfish. And the more selfish you are, the more you depend on yourself. And then logically, the more you depend on yourself, you really know yourself, so the more fearful you become. When you realize that God's goodness and mercy is following you, it's accompanying you, you know your home's in heaven, it allows you to be more grateful. It allows you to be more gracious, and it allows you to grow in your love to God. Immaturity doesn't love. Maturity loves. How do you know when someone doesn't understand God's love? Because they're ungracious. Ungracious people are ungraced people. They hold things over people's heads. They don't offer to let others off the hook. They don't forgive. Most of the time, they walk around with guilt themselves. They feel bad about themselves. And misery loves what? Company. So it wants to make everybody else miserable. Everyone's going through something. Everyone. George taught us in those earlier messages that we're all going to be opposed. We're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're all going to have those things. So when you meet somebody they're probably going through something you don't understand. And so you need to seek to understand, to be gracious to them. So we're grateful and generous. We're gracious because God's good and merciful. And three, because God's glory is waiting for us. I need to live my life now for his glory. Number three, I need to live my life now. Live it for God's glory. Why? Because it's practice for what he will share with me, his glory. How do you do that? How do you do that tomorrow with your family, this afternoon with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Matthew 5, 16 gives us the answer. It says, Let your light, your light is how your life works, the glory of God shining out at you. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You do your best to live for Him and for His glory. And what happens is that it opens up more of God's glory and goodness in you, more of his mercy, and it's this great spiral up. The more gracious you are, the more gracious people are back to you. The more gracious you are, God has made us to match people's emotions. And so grace begets grace, as God's mercy should do that for us. 2 Peter 1.3 says it this way. God, in his divine power, has given us everything we need for living a godly life, Unto his glory, this power is given to us through knowing Jesus. And the benefit of this, of knowing Jesus, is that he has called us to share in his own goodness, I would add mercy, and his glory. So as we wrap this message up, let me ask you a question I started with. When you think of next year, are you filled filled with fear, doubt, anxiety, worry? If you are, you need a hope infusion. This whole series has been about hope. And a hope infusion is when you realize to make a choice to live as God has called you to live by being grateful, it gives you hope. By being gracious, it increases your hope. An infusion of choosing to believe God's promises that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The final verse of Psalms 23, the verse 6, is the key to a living abundant, courageous, full life in 2018. It's the antidote to these fear, even death itself. You and I don't get to choose what happens to us. You won't choose most of your circumstances in 2018. Now, you may cause some of those because sometimes choices we make make choices for us later. Um, But you don't generally get to choose things that happen to you. But you do get to choose how you respond, how we respond to those things that happen to us. You can choose to be, these are my problem, a cynic, critic, pessimist, doubter, expecting the worst. You can choose to be ungrateful, stingy, selfish, ungracious, and living for your glory. Or next year, 2018, you can choose to live with gratitude, generosity, graciousness, and for God's glory. It's your choice. You can't control what happens to you, but you can be fearless and confident, courageous when those things do happen to you. As one who loves you, one of your pastors, I love you. I care about you. God cares and loves for you far more, but we love you as pastors here. We pray for you. Let me tell you what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt for you who I love. This is what God has promised you in this psalm. He says, the Lord is your shepherd and you will have everything you need in 2018 and beyond. He will make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. He will guide you in the right paths. Those of righteousness, why? For his glory, for his name's sake. Even though you or someone you may love, it will happen in 2018, will walk through the valley of the shadow of death You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear the evil one. For Jesus will be right there with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. In front of your enemies, those who oppose you, he will prepare a banquet for you. As the child of the king, he has anointed your head with oil and your cup overflows. And God's goodness and mercy, I guarantee you, because God said it, will follow you all the days of your life. And when your life on this earth ends... If you're a believer, you're in Jesus, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Know that, church. Know you are loved. Goodness and mercy follows you. God adores you as you adore him. Let us pray. Abba, Father, thank you again for your love for us. Thank you that your goodness and mercy do follow us all the days of our life. That God, it's not based on how I feel or what I do, but it's based on who you are. You're a good God and a merciful God. Thank you, Jesus, for earning that for us by suffering through the cross and the death and then being resurrected to conquer death, conquer our um, enslavement to sin, and reconcile us to the Father. Thank you for that goodness and mercy that follow us, that care for us, that follow behind us and make sure we're heading the right path as you lead us as our Lord. Thank you for being our shepherd and wanting us to know your voice. God, I pray over my church family that you would help them to know your love that you have for them. Help them to understand that you love them with goodness and mercy, not justice and wrath. God, help them to understand that you're a God who wants their 2018 to be filled with boldness and courage. When they take your gospel message to their friends, neighbors, co-workers, give them courage. When they face those things in life that are so uncertain, give them courage. Make them bold and courageous as you did Joshua. God, above all else, help this group leave here today knowing you adore them. They're the apple of your eye. You're not looking to get them but you're looking to love them. Help them feel that and experience that today. Jesus, thank you for us being in your family. We love being a part of your family. Thanks for bringing us in, adopting us in as fellow heirs. I don't know what all that means, but I love the sound of it. Thank you, God, for doing all it takes to make us fully yours. We love being your children. May this year, 2018, be one God that we have hope, and extend it out to all those around us with your love. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy and blessed name. Amen.